Well, you might not know this if you were here last week. You know, Pastor Donnie, I was so thankful he stepped in. I had a sinus infection, so I hope it doesn't throw some of you off because he was talking about gentleness. I'm talking about faithfulness tonight. We flipped them on you. Um, I think they're kind of interchangeable, so I think we're pretty safe on the biblical grounds. But we're going to talk about faithfulness tonight. And I had this thought, if you were going to only get three, okay, three words to be your epitaph or the words on your tombstone, and you had to pick from the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been looking at in this series, what would it be? Well, certainly almost all of us would pick love, right? You know, on my tombstone, Bob, he was loving. And I would kind might make that. And... Um, Good, like you would want goodness on there, wouldn't you? Maybe self-control, that's not quite, you know, but gentleness. But faithfulness, I don't know if faithfulness makes the top three. It's not really a very kind of sexy word, is it? Is it? You know, when you think of faithfulness. When I, back in my dating days, which was a long time ago, when I had flowing, flowing Pantene Pro-V hair back then, parted in the middle like we did in the late 70s and early 80s, feathered in the back a little bit like David Cassidy. Some of you have no idea who I'm talking about, some, but some of you are like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. So back in those days when I was pursuing a woman that I would like to date, that I had interest in, um, I, you know, I, I was... What would be the words in that dating season of your life that you would like that this woman that you're interested in to describe you with? What would those words be? Like handsome, witty, intelligent, you know, nice physique, really great hair. I'd still wish that could be said about me. How about solid? Well, that's not a word you would want to hear. You know, hey, hey, tell me about this guy who just asked you out. Yeah, he's steady. Kind of rock solid. I mean, that's almost like somebody saying, hey, what's he like? Well, he's got a nice personality. Yeah, he's steady. He's solid. You know, he, he does what he says he'll do and shows up when he says he's going to show up. And his car's always clean. Room probably is too. You, steady. That's not like a real sexy word when, when we think of it that way, unless, unless you are a parent. I was thinking about faithfulness, and I was thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't want the girl I was dating to describe me that way unless I was the parent of the person being dated. Here in my prayer, my little prayer journal that I, that I pray for um, people in my life, here's, here's something, a prayer for my daughter Shannon. I have a prayer for the potential spouse of each of our three children. Here's what I wrote. I pray for Shannon, a husband that loves Jesus, who loves Shannon, who is faithful, who is a provider, who is a protector, and is free from addiction. There's nothing about physique 
There's nothing that you would post on there on your Instagram account if you were putting it out there, is there? But I want somebody who's going to be faithful when they're married to my daughter, faithful to God, faithful to her. I think in some ways as a parent, I'm like, I might coin the phrase, faithful is the new sexy. All right, I'm trademarking the t-shirts, all right? I haven't quite figured out the design. But faithful, if you're the parent of a daughter or of a son, that's what you're praying for in a spouse. And I'm not... as we think about this faithfulness, what does it really mean? And I was like, I do, I'm a visual person. Person, Anybody out there visual, like you learn visually? Okay, so hopefully this will help. I'm like, what does faithfulness look like in terms of God? So this is what I came up with. I don't know if it's going to stick or not. But the first part of faithful is faith, right? And in Hebrews 11, we get a definition of faith. It's the most famous, short concise definition of faith that you see in the Bible. And following verse 1 and 2 in here is kind of the hall of fame of faithful people in all of the Bible. They're the goats, the greatest of all times. They're listed in this list. So the first part is you have faith. So here's what faith is in the scriptures. Now faith, notice the words, is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients, this hall of fame list, God, they made it into scriptures and what they're commended for, awarded for, recognized in the hall of fame for is this faith that they are confident in what they hope for, for assurance about what they don't see. And so this isn't just, you know, if you look at the list and you know their stories, you know that this isn't just I have faith and trust in God when things are going well, right? If you know any of the people in this list, you know that their stories anywhere from difficult to sordid in some ways, and they made mistakes, they were human like us. But it says, hey, they were faithful. They're commended for it. They made it into the hall of fame. And so the first part of it is this faith and assurance and hope in God who we can't see. If we were going to put it in one word, we would just say trust in this God that is full. Second part of the word, faith, full with two L's, that literally this Hall of Fame list, what they're commended for is being full of this faith and assurance and hope in God, trust in God, and so full of it that literally it's like a bucket of water. If this water in this bucket is um, faith, that it literally fills it to the brim so that as we walk around, we are sloshing. We are sloshing hope and assurance and trust. Some of you are like, don't throw that on me. Please don't. You were in the most danger right there. But literally, when I, I think of a picture of who I want to be, I want to be a walking, sloshing around, spilling out on people around me, 
person that's full of confidence in God, the hope that he brings, and assured even in the face of difficult circumstances, especially when things are hard, that God is bigger, that he's powerful, he's loving, he's gracious, he's forgiving, he protects us, he acts on our behalf, he blesses us. And we can live in a place of assurance even though we can't see him for better or for worse because that's the commitment he's made to us. I've been, I did a, officiated a wedding two weeks ago. I went to a wedding this last Friday of my friends Hillary and Josh. And there's always this part in the wedding ceremony where you get to point and say, hey, do you, Josh, take Hillary to be your life? life to promise your life to her alone in good times and in bad till death do us part there's always some kind of covenant commitment that's made in a wedding like that so it's not just in the good times that i am i am to be faithful in fact it's in particular in the difficult times that i'm supposed to be full of trust in this god now, there's two quality or qualities to faithfulness. The first, and if you're taking notes, you can record them here. Faithfulness is being both trustworthy and dependable. So this trustworthy part, as I think about praying for a faithful husband for my daughter, is this moral, moral character where you keep your promises, you do what you say you will do. Do you know that they've done studies in leadership, and the number one leadership trait across culture, generation, industry, that people look for in their leaders is they do what they say they will do. Now again, that's not real sexy, is it? It's not like, we want charisma. We want a great communicator. We want a Steve Jobs kind of presence and aura and strength of personality and leadership. We want intellect. No, number one, what they want in a leader is they will do what they say they will do. They will keep the promises and commitments that they agree to and they make with you. Why? Because when you do that, you build trust. So when things get hard, you can trust they're going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to keep their commitments even when it's hard and things don't go well. And we as the people of Jesus, if we have this kind of faithfulness in us, we can slosh this around everywhere we go, especially in times of fear. Is it possible that this faithfulness message happened this week for a reason? I don't know. I'm just saying maybe it's possible. So trustworthy. This idea of you do what you say what you will do. You're intentional in taking care of the gifts, relationships, blessing that God has given us. The second part of it is it's de you're dependable. There's this, this character kind of you're trustworthy but you're dependable and what I mean by that is over the long haul 
There's, there's a time kind of piece to this where you're persevering. You're not just, you don't just do what you say you will do today, but you do it next week, and then you do it next month, and then you're going to do it next year, and over a long period of time, you prove yourself to be faithful. Those are the two characteristics that here as we talk about faithfulness that are in play for us, and it, it's both. They both go together. You can't have one without the other. And this faithfulness character of keeping the promise totally worthy of our trust, but not just for a day, but over a long period of time, I would suggest is maybe the primary characteristic described of God in the Old Testament. New Testament is probably love, forgiveness, central is the cross, but in the Old Testament, there's this theme of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to a series of promises that he's made to his people, his chosen people, Israel, and God always keeps it and is, in, and is faithful. This year, I'm reading through the Psalms. I'm going to read through the Psalms every year with a devotional by a theologian and author named Tim Keller called The Songs of Jesus. And I'm just going to be disciplined in working through the Psalms. I've never read through slowly the book of Psalms and done a daily devotional on them. But they're the, they're the prayer book of the Bible, of the Jewish people. And I'm only around, I think I'm at Psalm 36 or so. But listen to just in the Psalms, this is all over the New Testament, some of the ways it describes God's faithfulness. Psalm 25:10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant, this promise he's made. Psalm 33, 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. His love isn't fickle like so many, so much of the world. That's a, a fickle love, right? I love you one day, I don't. I, I mean, social media is like the, the poster child for this. I like you, I love you, I heart you, I smiley face you. I do all these things, but the next day I ghost you. I don't respond anymore. It's fickle, a fickle kind of love. But God's love, this one who we can't see, his love is unfailing. It never fails. And the earth is full of it if we look for it or we realize his love primarily is expressed through his people and we are to be the unfailing love in the world. Psalm 36, 5, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Some of you have probably know that, that somebody turned that into a song, third day turned that into a song. So the Old Testament is essentially a record of God's enduring faithfulness to a series of promises to his chosen people. These promises called covenants, but it's also the story of Israel's lack of faithfulness to keeping their relationship with God intact. 
Israel, if you've read the story of the Old Testament or you know the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, they're wildly unfaithful. They're just wildly unfaithful. And sometimes they're wildly unfaithful and sometimes they're passively unfaithful, disinterested in their God. And whenever we are wildly unfaithful, whenever I am disinterested, kind of like towards God, you ever been this way? Like, I mean, it's dangerous always when you're up here being authentic as a pastor. You're kind of like this about God. Yeah. How's your relationship with God? Yeah. I mean, you, you would never say that, right? Especially in church. How's your relationship with God? It's good. Doing good. But inside in our heart, there's this posture of our heart. It's kind of like, Which is kind of the, like, I, I get kind of being wildly unfaithful or rebellious. But, and that's not kind necessarily in any relationship, especially you think of like a, a parent-kid relationship. But disinterest kind of, eh, that's kind of the cruelest cut of all. Like, you don't matter much. You don't really make a difference. Well, when we're like this in this posture, it spills out into all of our relationships. So the next point is God is faithful, we are not. All right? This isn't to make us feel guilty. I don't want us to feel bad. I just know I can say with an amazing amount of confidence that God is faithful. I am not there's some days, years, months, hours, minutes where I'm more faithful than other times, but I have moments of unfaithfulness. And at this point in my life, it's not usually expressed in wild rebellion. That was a different season of my life. If it gets expressed, it's more like this. Eh. I somehow lose interest or passion or connection to this relationship but here's the good news. I think we got to recognize the truth about who we are. The, in it, you know, the Bible talks about it being sin. It's kind of this virus of the heart that, that we all have that um, see, kind of the symptoms seek, seep into every area of our life. And here's what the good news is. Faithfulness can be cultivated. See, like all the fruits... Faithfulness is not something that Jesus is asking us to strive for, to attain. Work a little harder at your faithfulness, and someday you might get there. See, it's through faith in Jesus Christ we are made new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any one of us is in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so Jesus, as we are new creations, we're indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And as we are, he, the Holy Spirit renews, it revitalizes, it rebirths, it restores the image, the character of God with which we were created. It begins to uncover. But at the same time as God's doing his part, we get to participate in this new creation that he's doing in us. 
So if you start in Genesis, one of the things that you notice is he, he allows Adam, the first man, to participate, okay, in creation. Adam is given the opportunity, the authority, the task to name the birds of the air, the animals of the field. He's working alongside God to create this new world that had been created. That's what we're created for. So as God does this Holy Spirit work inside of us, there's a part that we can play becoming faithful. We're part of creating this rebirth, this, this re-engaging, this dusting off what's already there that's maybe been covered by what it, our, our own sin or the things that, that make us guarded or keep us from God. We get to participate in that. And it requires in, attention and intention on our part. It doesn't happen accidentally. We are meant to assist, to cultivate faithfulness, all of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit into our lives as Pastor Brent and Pastor Donnie have talked about. It's not outside in, it's inside out. Out is the way this happens. So the goal is that at some point in my life, I don't have to try to be faithful. That God's character, God's image in me, it just is, it becomes more naturally who I am. So I'm not having to think about it. Am I being faithful today? Was I unfaithful? Am I being faithful? You could drive yourself crazy, like with any of these. Was I joyful today? I don't know. Was I joyful? I wasn't joyful. Here. Like, you could do that, and it could become morbidly introspective. But when I think of it, God, help me to know how to make me more like you so that I am more like the image you created me to be. So that when I walk around this world, I am sloshing hope. I am sloshing confidence in you and who you are so that the people around me are just getting soaked with your goodness and your power and your presence. It's simply who we are. The best picture for me, and Pastor Brent brought this up a few weeks ago, but we're going to go there again. The best image of this for me is a tree. This piece of Walmart, very fancy, uh, inexpensive Walmart. No, it's not. I'm being sarcastic right there. It comes from Hobby Lobby, all right? But I saw this, and this image here is an image that I had, I had in a picture in my office, and I'm like, there it is. And it reminds me of Psalm 1, in this idea of life in Christ, what it means to have life in Christ, what our faith journey, our faith experience should look like. And if you were here when Brent was here, and I'm just going to do a flyby, there's a video um, on the Bible project about the tree of life, you should, you should look at it, it's amazing. I mean, it just, but it's this idea of that the tree in the Bible is often paralleled paralleled with humankind. That trees and humankind in this faith journey 
are used, it, it, the tree is used as a symbol, a metaphor to parallel our own faith journey. And that the Hebrew word for tree and wood was exactly the same word. So we have tree if it's living, we have wood if it's been cut down. The Hebrew word made no distinction. So wood means tree in the Hebrew. But the, you see in the Bible in the tree of life in Genesis, in the garden, Noah's ark, wood, built of the ark in the Old Testament on a mountain, often goes with a mountain. Abraham and Isaac um, with the wood on his back. Jesus was hung on a tree. So the tree is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it, from the beginning to the end, it carries this picture forward. And in Psalm 1, it talks about a tree. And the first prayer in this prayer book of the ancient Israelites is about what a faithful life looks like and what it takes to cultivate faithfulness to God in your life. So let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in, the step, in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That the faithful person to God, this righteous person, they delight in God's word. It's scripture, all right? So that's one mark, one way to cultivate this faithfulness is to meditate on God's word day and night. That person who does that is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in and out of season. Imagine these roots near a stream of water. All right, around here with probably cottonwoods by a, by a stream that make all of us sneeze come springtime, right? Whose yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. It never withers. It never gets heat stressed when things are hard. For better or for worse, God's faithfulness when rooted in him by the stream of water. And do you know what water is often equated with in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. In baptism. In Christ, we're rooted so that in the hard times, our leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. It's faithfulness both ways. God to us to God, God to us. Well, not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. At, on that day where we're held accountable, when we stand before God, the wicked aren't accounted for there. They're, they're not welcomed. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Notice the relationship language there. The picture that popped into my head right away, the Lord watches, was 
how I watch my kids when they were little and running around so that they wouldn't run in the middle of the street, how they ran on the soccer field, when we were at choir concerts. Sure, I looked at the other kids, but where were my eyes fixed during it? On my kids. The Lord watches like a loving parent, grandparent over us. He's faithful. He's watching. He's present. He's personal. And because he's personal, we can be confident and assured. And then it says, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. But do you see, a tree is, as we think of cultivating this in us, it's not the outside in. Pastor Brent showed a, did a great illustration several weeks back where he had a fake tree and he decorated it almost like we would our Christmas trees, right? That's different than a tree, this tree in Psalm 1, which is by the river, rooted and drinking and getting sustenance so that the trunk begins to grow. So that when there is fruit, it can actually bear it and sustain the weight of it. Anybody have peach trees at all? Any peach tree people? I used to have a peach tree, Judy. I used to have a peach tree. And one year, we had so much fruit on it, literally the branches, because we couldn't pull it off quick enough, it literally snapped and ruined the peach tree. Because the trunk wasn't strong enough to support all of the fruit. And a, tr- a fruit tree like this, we're not, put, we're not hanging peaches on it, are we? No, because it's rooted, because the trunk is strong, the fruit is a natural outcome, a natural growth, because that's what it was meant to do is bear fruit. And you... And I were created to bear this fruit that we see in Galatians 5. We don't have to work at it, try to hang it on here to prove something to ourselves or to someone else or to please God. We are created in a way so that if we're rooted in the right thing, we will grow strong and it will just simply blossom from our lives. But we get to cultivate it along the way. I was a uh, middle distance and distance runner in high school and college. And in my 30s and 40s, I ran several marathons. Um, I was fortunate to run the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., my first marathon. And I was then really fortunate to run two Bostons, um, which is an amazing experience in a race. One of the things I learned in my training and in racing in college is Usually the fastest times run in any race, especially a middle distance or a longer distance race, is a race where the runner runs the most consistent splits. Meaning that if, I, if I'm running a, um, a two-mile race in college okay, or high school, two four-minute and 30-second miles or two four-minute, 45-second miles linked together is usually going to get a better result than maybe going out in 4.30 the first mile and then 4.50 the next. 
or going out in 450 the first mile and then coming in at 430 the next. You're probably going to get a better result if you are consistent. It's kind of like that second part of quality of faithfulness. There's something to consistency. There's something to the steady eddy kind of just keeping at it for the long haul. And do you know how I finished three marathons? Some of you have pro- in here have probably done more. So lots of people have run marathons. It's not that I'm a great marathon runner or anything. You finish a marathon one step at a time in the right direction. Okay, that, that's an important one, right? I mean, it's not like 26 miles wherever you want to go. <laughs> Turn your loose gun, everybody goes a different way. No, it's 26 miles, a certain direction that you're supposed to be going, and you're going with others along the way. I remember this guy, Johnny Kelly, he's a, he was a legend. He, he's, he's passed away now, but he, he's the one who, if you're familiar with it, Heartbreak Hill is named after. And he, he won several Bostons and was competitive for a decade in the Boston Marathon. And the first part of the Boston is downhill. And he's like, Bobby, he had a Boston accent. I won't even try to, you know, recreate it. And he called me Bobby. He goes, Bobby, take it easy on the first eight miles or so of the race. The course will give it back to you at the end. Because it was downhill. It, it, you, you wanted to run fast. You're hopped up on adrenaline at the first part of it. And he's like, hey, he's saying, here, he, just be consistent. 26 miles, Bobby. One step at a time. In the first part of it, you're going to want to go fast. But just keep it consistent. One foot in front of the other. Now, One of the things, I want to get practical here a little bit for us. Like, how do I, you might be asking, and this is what I ask myself, how do I build faithfulness in? How do I cultivate faithfulness? How do I participate along with what God's doing in my life? So we'll get a little bit more practical here. First is, we should be intentional and not accidental in cultivating faithfulness. Intentional, not accidental. And this becomes, um, this comes from being intentional in our relationships. Because faithfulness doesn't happen outside of relationship. Think of this. Like you can be faithful to yourself, but that's kind of a relationship with yourself, right? I'm going to be faithful to the promises that I've made to myself. But faithfulness really, this quality, this character is lived out in relationship with other people. So I, I created a little diagram here for us. It's just some circles for us to see. It looks more like an oval there so, uh, than a circle. But at the center, we've got our relationship with Jesus. And we can play a part in cultivating that. And out of that relationship, it should spill out and slosh about if we're cultivating it right because we're created to bear fruit we were created for this when we're rooted in christ and cultivating it fruit will just simply begin to happen happen and become who we are we will begin to take more and more of god's character on in our lives and it spills into our family and then it spills into our spiritual community 
that's what this is here. Some would say the church. You, you could say it a mission community. There's lots of words to describe it. But we gather here. Why? Because we want something infectious to happen in our lives so that as we go out, we are contagious with God's love and presence into the world. And that should spill into our work, into our local community, and then into our world. So two practical things. You're going to be like most of you, especially those of you maybe that have been on this faith journey longer. You're going to go, Bob, duh. Who doesn't know that? Who doesn't know to cultivate that in your life? And the first, I would say, is this. We need to cultivate our reading, our study, our memorization, our interaction with the scriptures, with the text. We need to, um, some of the ancient literature, uh, the ancient Old Testament, they, the words actually used to describe knowing the Old Testament is that you would eat or devour the Old Testament. They used to take honey and put it on a slate slab, and they would say, hey, th for the students, and they would eat the honey. It was the, the ancient candy. It was the ancient sugar high. All right, so even back then, they were taking their middle schoolers and filling them full of sugar and then turning them loose back home. But they would say, hey, God's word tastes like honey. Eat it. Devour it. I ran into this quote that I thought was convicting and challenging, but it's not meant to make us feel bad about where we are or to make us feel good if somehow we've been doing this. It simply was a challenge to me to be intentional in reading the scripture. How? One page at a time. One step at a time. Don't go read the Bible tomorrow and then not pick up the Bible for the next three weeks to three years. There's something about consistency over the long haul that builds and cultivates capacity. So this guy who I feel like has discipled me even though I never met him, but I love his writings and his thoughts, Dallas Willard, and he has a way of phrasing things. Intensity is crucial, crucial for any progress in spiritual perception and understanding. This is in your bulletin, so you don't have to write all this down. But to dribble a few verses or chapters of Scripture on oneself through the week, in church or out, will not reorder one's mind and spirit. Just as one drop of water every five minutes will not get you a shower, no matter how long you keep it, keep it, keep it up. He's saying engaging with the text, engaging with the scriptures, as hard as that might be consistently over time. So my daughter, Riley, she's 20 years old. She's at Azusa Pacific University in L.A. Who knows what's going to happen with the corona thing. They might shut schools down. You know, it's going to be pandemonium. We don't know. I, I was like, before she left back after spring break, I'm like, honey, just blessed are the flexible, for they will not break. Just be flexible. And then we talked about faithfulness. 
hey, God's bigger. We have somebody to hope in that's bigger than this whole thing. We don't need to live in fear. In fact, we can be antidotes to the fear that's out there. In fact, that's what God's people have always done. But how my 20-year-old in her journey 20 years into her faith, how she reads the Bible, understands it, and interacts with it is differently than I do at 56. That's natural, right? We wouldn't expect it any different. But I know this, if she will interact with the text faithfully, often, over time, it will cultivate something in her where she will flourish. It's like being a, tr- it's like a tree by a river where its roots run deep and it will do its work in her. And God will do it, but she's got to cultivate it. Secondly is this one that's tougher for me, and that's prayer. Mark 1.35. I was taught this by my friend Chuck, who I think made it into the Hall of Fame. I think he's an addendum to Hebrews 11 at some point literally helped change the country of Ethiopia by bringing the message of Jesus there in his 60s, in his 70s, his best ministry done in those years. Little verse, it's easy to read by it. Mark 135, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions, that's Peter, went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. Don't your days feel like that? Like you're like, okay, I, I need a little space at the start of the day, at least I do, where I need to get my mind focused on the right things. And it seems like Everybody's looking for you. The texts start coming. The emails start coming. That little device that's there. People, where are you? Well, I, early in the morning while it was still dark, I got up and I prayed. There's an intensity to this verse, isn't it? It's while it was still dark. And if you read what happens before that, Jesus had been doing a whole lot of healing. There's a certain amount of focus and intensity you see even in Jesus' own spiritual disciplines. He was cultivating this fruit because he knew it was from the outside in, but he participated even as the Son of God. I have this friend, I had this friend to kind of just illustrate this point of what this intensity and focus might look like. Her name was Allison. And I ran into her when she was a high school student I was working with a ministry called Young Life, and she, uh, she had really struggled for several years with some health issues, mental health issues, um, addiction issues. And she'd been to the best treatment centers, the best therapy, the best care, medical care that the world had to offer. We were near Johns Hopkins University Medical Center where some of the best people in the field worked with her to try to find answers to help her overcome this addiction that she was 
experiencing, and none of it worked. Three years later, she reminds me of the woman who was hemorrhaging, who touched Jesus' cloak as he walked by, and it says that um, she had been to all the doctors, and she'd spent everything. And that's where my friend Allison was. She was spent. Her hope was gone. Her question of for better or for worse, if God was for her, was damaged and dinged, and her faith was not very full. But I have this friend, Becky. Becky is a little bit a wild child. She's bold and she's brash, but her bucket is full, and she sloshes all over everybody that she encounters. And she came down, it was a Coke can, not a water bottle, and she walks in the room, and she says, Allison, this is your problem. And everybody's been focusing on this for three years. And you're spent. I can see it in your eyes. You've lost hope. What would happen if Jesus walked in the room? Becky let it hang there just like that. I was the young life guy. I'm like, I know I should answer, but I don't think I should answer. And she goes, if he walked in the room, all eyes would go on him. I would like you to come with me. There's a group of women living in this home where we, we provide hospitality and a place for foreign dignitaries to come and stay in Washington, D.C. And while we're together serving and, and creating this place where people can come from all over the world, we are going to focus on Jesus. And this thing you've been focusing on for three years, we won't even talk about that if you don't want to. We're going to focus on Jesus intensely together. And after a year, her life was transformed. What the experts had tried to do and couldn't do, focus on Jesus had. And as they began, she began to focus on Jesus, the scripture began to pray. Those things began to do their good work to bring strength in the scripture strength in the trunk of her life and she began to bear fruit that she would not have borne but she was created to bear if it wasn't for Jesus he's faithful to do his part if we're faithful to do our part but it's from the outside in so will we be intentional or will we be accidental? Truth been told, there's times where I've been accidental in my faith. But I want to be somebody who's sloshing buckets full of hope and confidence in the one I can't see, but in the one whom I trust. It's what I was created for. And so were you. We're going to take communion together. And tonight we have Mick, what I call Mick communion. They're communion in a package. That's right, you don't have to put your hands into a bowl of bread. They're here at these different stations. And we're gonna give you a moment to go grab one of these and in your own timing, you, you peel off the top, I'll show you because this, there's, 
the top part, which is the bread, and then you can peel the cup. Take that as you want, and I'll have a closing prayer. But let's take communion together and ask God to cultivate faithfulness in our life. Let's read the prayer in our bulletins together that's become our benediction during this series. And let's read it together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, say it with me, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus' people prayed this together in his name and said, Amen.